It's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. Yeah, this is the beginning. Say, uh, Jelly, are you sure we're heading in the right direction? The scouter picked up a reading of 6,500 over this way, definitely. Over 6,000? That's not half bad. Not half great either, considering where our power level is. But the minimum consideration for the Frieza Force is only 1,200, and anyone over 5,000 gets strong consideration. Whoever it was could at least be a peacekeeper on the low-level planet. Hey, nobody on my planet aside from me has ever topped 5,000. Yeah, and why do you think Lord Frieza didn't even bother to keep an infantry there to keep your people in line? You, you pose no threat. I think we might pose some threat if you knew. If we knew what? About your legendary bathroom breaks? No, shut up and keep your eyes peeled. Shut up. You were the one that started this podcast while we're supposed to be looking for a warrior. I'm just trying to do the thing. You know, the banter thing. Fair point, recruit. Yes, listeners, we're here on planet Orthoptera. As our long-range scouters picked up a blip, and then upon landing, our personal devices got us a bearing to follow. Though all we've seen so far has been a lot of foliage and a few insects. It's a uh, marshy surface here. Uh, we're slopping through muck and mud and wading through shallow pools looking for this warrior. Hey, I'm usually the one that describes the planet's topology. Usually? We've been on one other planet. And I describe the terrain. Listen, you keep your eyes peeled. With a power level like this around, it makes sense that larger animals would probably steer clear of the area. Our fighter is probably nearby. Any read on the scouter? No, but didn't you say some fighters can suppress their power? Suppress or only harness when they transform, yeah. Oh yeah, hey, speaking of transformations, does it count if- Shh! Do you hear that? Why did you start a podcast requiring us to speak if you keep telling me to be quiet? Would you just listen for one second? Okay, yeah, I definitely heard that. It came from behind that thicket over there. Now I'm picking something up. Obviously, I am too. It's right where those noises... Uh, where... To our two o'clock. Hello? 
Can anybody hear me over there? Reading's at 7200 now and holding. Okay, follow me. Hello! Hey! We're with the Frieza Force. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but, uh... I can see the warrior. They look a lot bigger than either of us. Light pink skin, long, flowing, bright red hair, muscles upon muscles. This guy is bigger than the two of us put together. You know size matters very little. Be ready to translate for me if needed. Hello! Hey, hey, listen, warrior, my name is Jelly. I'm an elite recruiter working with Lord Frieza to gather fighters who can... What the hell is that? Don't just stand there, run! Where? They're everywhere! Listeners, that commotion must have attracted what appear to be giant insects. Oh, my roots, they fit off his head! They fit off his head, man! Damn it, just run! Quick, in there! That cave there, dive in, dive in! I'll blast the opening behind us when we're in! Are we... Are we safe? Assuming there's nothing worse than giant crickets who bite off heads inside this cave? Yes, we're safe. For our listeners out there, as I just alluded to, we were attacked by gigantic... crickets, for lack of a better word. They immediately decapitated the warrior who was out there for who knows what reason, but in any event, it means whatever these creatures are, they're strong. Though clearly antagonistic. Now we've dived into a cave that have caused a cave-in at the entrance to block those things from getting in here. What the hell, man? What the hell? You never said anything about giant crickets. It's a big galaxy. Not every planet is well-charted. Besides, it could be worse. How could it possibly be worse? We could have a Saiyan on the rampage in his great ape form outside. And speaking of which... Oh, please don't do it. Oh, I'm doing it. Let's take a minute to catch our breath and discuss this week's topic. And to help us discuss this week's topic, because we're going to be delving into a giant creature, we've brought we're gonna we're gonna reach out on our scouters, we're gonna dial someone up, we're gonna call one of our friends. Uh, this is going to be our friend Matt. Matt is with the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. He uh, has been doing that for a few years with his co-host, Bird, and they discuss all things Japanese giant monster fantasy, fiction, that kind of stuff, Godzilla, Gamera, Ultraman. We've talked about those few things a little bit here on this show already, and so we're going we're gonna to call Matt, we're going to dial him in, and he's going to help us break down this week's topic of discussion. Let me call him up. So, Matt, thank you for joining us. Super, super stoked to be on, actually. And, uh, you know, you've been on our show a ton, so I'm glad to, to be able to come on tonight. Yes, under an alias, I have been on their <laughs> show. Uh, so so if, you're, if you're a common listener to both shows, you have heard me on the Kaiju Transmissions podcast before. Uh, but uh, this, is, this is Final Forum. This is our Dragon Ball podcast, but uh, like I said, we're going to be discussing a giant creature this time, and I'm going to spin it back over to Bikini to recap the episode and, and get us kicked off on this topic of discussion for the day. All right, so I drew I drew the, the, the good straw this week because there's not a whole lot to recap. Uh, where we left off, our heroes were stuck in what we dubbed the solar oven, waiting for daybreak and their inevitable demise. During the course of the episode, Full Moon, 
Uh, Goku mentions that uh, during full moons, there's a giant ape monster that uh, shows up and destroys things and, in fact, killed his grandfather. At which point, people start piecing together based on his story that he might be the one responsible for the destruction. And they warn Goku not to look at the moon. And, of course, what happens anytime you tell anybody not to do something, they immediately do it. And it's sort of played off as a gag at first as he looks at the moon and then looks back at his friends and nothing really seems to happen. There's almost like a little bit of relief that washes over them, only to immediately be cut short as he turns into the Ozaru, the giant ape monster. So this has the positive side effect of busting everybody out of the solar oven that they've been stuck in. But unfortunately, it causes a, a rampage and the Ozaru starts to essentially lay waste to Pilaf's castle. Goes back and forth for a bit with Pilaf defending his castle. Our heroes trying to get away from the Ozaru to, to save their own lives. They eventually come up with a plan on the fly to cut off the Ozaru's tail which immediately reverts Goku back to his normal state. Afterwards, he's passed out for a while. Everybody takes solace in the fact that their troubles are now over. Uh, and then our heroes decide to part ways with most of the group heading off towards, they just call it the city. I don't think an actual name for the city is ever given. But they, I guess, plan on, I don't know, getting an apartment together or something. And Goku decides to fly off to go train with Master Roshi. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. Tying this back into Journey to the West, as we have been for the past few episodes, Sun Wukong has the ability to become as tall as heaven, uh, which is a transformation ability that is basically synonymous with the character itself. The appearance of the Ozuru harkens back to Sun Wukong's appearance and Toriyama's initial Goku design, which was a lot a lot more monkey-themed than, than Goku actually is. Toriyama also bases the idea to an extent on King Kong, because Kong is incredibly popular in Japan. Right. You know, go, talking about that, the King Kong part of it, the, the original Kong was a smash hit in Japan. And the re-release of that original in the 1950s is a, a key factor uh, in the creation and success of the Godzilla franchise. You know, that movie comes out, producers see it and see how much money it makes. And the, the team that made Godzilla, you know, gets the go ahead to make a giant monster movie from, from Toho. So Kong begets Godzilla. Uh, Kong even crosses over with Godzilla in King Kong versus Godzilla, which to this day remains the most highly attended Godzilla film in Japan. You know, it also created a lot of the conventions of the genre itself in terms of usually, you know, you kind of introduce the two monsters kind of separately. They have their first fight. They go off with somewhat of a draw or maybe one of them having an upper hand and then they have another little mini adventure each on their own and then they come back for a final conflict at the end that's a big kind of convention and trope and, and structure of the genre and that's that's created in this movie king kong versus godzilla and the, the two would cross paths again in 2021's godzilla versus kong which is one of 2021's highest grossing films there's even a lot of claims, as I was doing a lot of my research, I, I came across this being repeated over and over and over. As I was either reading books or clicking through some links or watching some YouTube videos, I came across a lot of claims that Kong 
was actually Japan's very first kaiju. And one of the reasons I brought Matt in was to talk a little bit more about that, because it's not maybe as entirely true as a lot of those claims say. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two films that lead most people to claim that Kong was Japan's first kaiju. Uh, the first is 1933's King Kong Made in Japan, and then you have 1938's King Kong Appears in Edo. And the first, King Kong Made in Japan, is actually like not at all a traditional kaiju film in the way that we think of it. The movie's plot's actually about a struggling and homeless man who is in love with a woman, but he can't be with her due to his lack of livelihood. And so he creates this vaudeville show, and he basically wears his uh, Kong suit, and he destroys miniatures to try to make money and then to be able to marry his love. Uh, this is actually a short film made by the studio Shochiku, and that was actually the same company that dubbed the original American 1933 Kong film into Japanese for its theatrical release. This film actually was specifically designed to be shown before the screenings of the 1933 American King Kong film. It, it was not a, a, a kaiju film by any stretch of the imagination, and actually, one of the, probably the most interesting thing I think about this film is that it's believed to be lost forever. Uh, because it was destroyed in the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. And then you have the second of these films, these Kong Lost films, which is the 1938 King Kong Appears in Edo. And it's got a bit more uncertainty swirling around it. The movie definitely isn't about the King Kong that we know as a giant ape from Skull Island just appearing in feudal Japan and wreaking havoc. Rather, it's the name of a pet ape of the film's main antagonist who kidnaps the daughter of a feudal lord. There's some publicity stills, and they've shown this Kong as both giant and human-sized, which is kind of adding to some of the confusion. And the suit actor, he actually once used the word giant to describe the ape. But that could easily just be a reference to the size of an ape as being able to kill a human. So, though not certain, it's pretty unlikely that this was a true kaiju film. And again, unfortunately, like the previous film, was actually forever lost due to the bombing of Hiroshima. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, for, for even more on those movies and a whole bunch of other King Kong movies, some made, some unmade, some concepts of ones that eventually wound up being made and where those concepts permutated from, you can refer to the book Kong Unmade, The Lost Films of Skull Island by John LeMay. That actually has input, Matt, from your co-host at Kaiju Transmissions, Kyle Bird. But yeah, with, with all that cleared up, Really, the most important piece to take away from all of this is that Kong is wildly popular worldwide and in Japan in particular, and this inspires a great many Japanese content creators. Take, for instance, just off you know offhand, uh, Donkey Kong. It, that's named Donkey Kong. A, due to, like, they said he was stubborn like a donkey, but then the, the Kong part of it is his resemblance to King Kong. So this inspiration of King Kong, like we said, and we'll probably say again and again, he watches movies and TV while he works. It extends to Toriyama as well. Now, originally, Toriyama called this ape form Kabutsu Zaru, which just means ape monster. Uh, and he used kaibutsu rather than kaiju to denote that there's a difference between this monster and the, like the giant monster from giant, you know monster movies. Though kaibutsu zaro is a giant to be sure, it's not meant to be like a city smashing smashing giant like Godzilla. So it's, it's like a not quite the same scale. It's later that he coins the term ozaru, and he sticks with that moving forward, kind of as we've seen before. He 
forgets what he names things or he changes his mind as time goes on. The O in front of a word in Japanese usually means great or large and is also a homonym for king. So it's another way to play on words for Toriyama, denoting it as large ape or like king of the apes. Yeah, and it's also an uncommon – or not uncommon, excuse me. <laughs> uh, a common naming convention for unnamed kaiju that appear in media. So like specifically the Godzilla franchise – uh, one particular example would be the Odaku, which is from the King Kong versus Godzilla film. Daku meaning octopus in Japanese. So there's some blurring of the lines between the old Uzaru and traditional kaiju. Uh, and then furthermore, in the show Ultra Q, which by the way, I can't recommend that show enough if you ever want to check out something Ultraman related. Ultra Q is a great place to start. That's two um, recommendations. You, you need to. It's 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 magnificent. And it's um, cheap. It's, yeah, it's like. It's like what? <laughs> 10 bucks or it was like $11 for Ultra Q and like $9 for Neo Ultra Q. Yeah, they're both wonderful. But the second episode of Ultra Q features a pet monkey who winds up growing huge. And Edgy Tsuburaya reused the Kong suit from King Kong versus Godzilla, but it, he actually added big ears and a tail. And at one point in the episode, it is referred to as Ozaru. Right. So so you can see when you start stacking these things on top of each other, it's it's pretty clear where Toriyama's drawing his influences from with the big ears and the tail and the more human stature. And, you know, we've shown over and over how influenced by TV and movies he is, whether unconsciously or, or consciously, and it, whether he admits it or not. And speaking of admitting things, Toriyama openly admits he wanted a transformation in his manga, and he says he originally intended for the transformation to be more human-sized and similar to a Wolfman, because he's a big fan of the 1941 Universal Studios Wolfman movie, which, duh, so am I. <laughs> so there's, another one, there's another one I can't recommend highly enough if you, for some reason you've never checked it out. But, however, when Toriyama kind of realizes the situation he's put our characters in and he needs the transformation to be bigger to get them out of their jam, he utilizes causing the full moon to, to cause the transformation to retain that homage to the Wolfman. So, uh, even though, even, and, he, and he, even the kanji that Toriyama chooses to use for full moon, those are more traditional and they actually specifically denote a reflection of the moon in one's eyes. So there's where you kind of get your whole uh, Toriyama blending this tradition of Sun Wukong with the more modern Kong and obviously the even more modern than Kong Ultra Q as well as this monster western monster movie in this fusion of cultures and he creates something new with it. Additionally, with regards to the moon aspect, uh, the use of the moon as a counteragent to Pilaf's plan to bake our heroes in the sun is sort of like a yin-yang opposition. In kanji, the symbols for yin and yang even contain the symbols for moon and sun, respectively, so it's likely that Toriyama's aware of this yin-yang aspect, and he's playing on it by having the murderous, rage-fueled Ozaru of yin energy burst forth from the innocent, kind, observable yang of Goku. The Ozaru... Being unknown to Goku is part of an ancient Chinese belief that within each Qi Shen or knowing self, there exists potentially several Fu Yuan Shen or assistant spirit elves, uh, selves that can assist or influence the conscious self in difficult times or just in general as a sleepwalker. Kind of like calling on your ancestors type thing, if you will. 
so while these assistant spirits are fully aware of the knowing self, it is only those with highly adapted skills and intense training who can consciously tap into and communicate with their Fu Yuan Shen. Yeah, and, and that'll kind of interestingly come into play much, much later when we get into Z and, and talking more about Vegeta, I think. But as for why the tail needs to be cut off to end the transformation, that's that's pretty simple. Toriyama just hated drawing it. And he's, again, he's notoriously kind of lazy. And so he even said he was just trying to think of a way from the outset and a reason to get rid of the tail. Almost as soon as he started working on Dragon Ball. And he was like, ah, this will be a good opportunity. And he has the tail just get cut off. Uh, obviously, there's a running theme in this show or in this manga of like the creator just being like, I, I'm, I don't want to do that. That's too much work. <laughs> That's uh, that's where a lot of transformations end up coming from, too. <laughs> I don't want to explain how they get that strong. We'll just make it a transformation. It's fine. Yeah, that well, that and I mean, the whole reason Super Saiyan looks the way it does is because Toriyama got tired of coloring in Goku's hair. So <laughs> that's perfect. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's just talk about this this form a little bit more. I mean, it's it's hard now to separate it from what we know about Goku as a Saiyan and an alien and this being intrinsically tied to his race. For me, it was always linked to that alien nature. Like I never thought of it as more of a mystical thing like it is during, during its initial appearance. I I totally get it now. And I think it works just as well either way. I don't know about, about you guys, but like just me, for instance, like, when you when you're watching this show very often throughout especially in the very early goings and this is kind of one of those things where it's almost better that it gets dropped maybe after the second or third episode i forget when it is but like very early on bulma like makes a big to do about the tail and then you know she even is shocked when goku can kind of use it like um it's prehensile and then that kind of that whole element to his character gets dropped, and I feel like you mostly forget about it, except for the one point where Chi-Chi grabs his tail and it makes him weak. It kind of then works. Then it, it like it makes it feel like it was really well set up. That oh, there's something weird about this kid. He's not a hundred percent just a normal human being. So it works on that mystical level, but for me, it's hard to separate it from the alien nature. I had the exact same experience because you always tie it back to well the saiyans can transform and they use this as a way to conquer planets which is what kind of the intent is in z and then when you watch it in this and like you would never have that inclination other than goku just isn't fully human but i agree with you like it does work both ways and i actually think i I rewatched i've watched dragon ball in a very long time but i actually rewatched the first 13 episodes in preparation for coming on tonight they set it up really well. They set the story up for him and the relation to what happens to his grandfather, but you never kind of piece together anything until this episode. I, I think the story is told in a way that like it's believable, it's a lot of fun. And also like they don't make a big deal of the tale, but also like Dragon Ball has a bunch of weird talking animals too. So like it doesn't really throw you for a loop the way that it could maybe in other shows. I'm same as you guys. I think it works both ways, but I, I do I, I would, wouldn't mind talking to somebody who was introduced this through Dragon Ball first 
like and going through the whole thing chronologically as to like how how it hit them when it's revealed in Z that he's an alien because it would just hit differently for somebody who who was introduced to Goku when he was still a kid. It is weird, right? I mean, it's a it's definitely um that's the big reason why there's a delineation between Dragon Ball and Z. It's not the age difference of Goku because towards the end of Dragon Ball, you get a fairly significant time jump and you get Goku as a I don't want to say full adult yet, but he's he's in his very early adulthood, right? When when you get the final tournament arc that's in Dragon Ball, but that is still yep. Dragon Ball. That's not, you know, we don't we don't we don't consider that time jump to be part of a different show, and I think really the the key difference is Dragon Ball is more mystical and more you know, these things are happening because of traditions and because of Japanese and Chinese traditions. And it's all springing forth from this journey to the West. Whereas Z then gives some of these things more practical explanations. Matt and I are both tied into the the kaiju world a little bit. You know, when people always want like an explanation for how King Kong got so big or something, it's sort of like Toriyama's giving that answer, but at least he's doing some fun and interesting things with it. Yeah, there's a there's a group of of like I'm just gonna call it what, like kind of idiotic fans, and they're always upset. Like, well, how did how did Kong grow from a hundred feet tall to you know four hundred feet or whatever he is in the next movie? And it's like I don't think that question is actually worth asking, let alone answering. But you're right, Tom. That's exactly exactly what that is. <laughs> don't question it. Just enjoy the movie. <laughs> So I'm going to ask Matt a question, and it's going to blow his brains, but I'm going to try to to qualify the question afterwards and maybe make it not as, you know, triggering for him. Matt, is Uzaru a kaiju? <laughs> and, I'm, I'm triggered. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I think what I, what I, what I really kind of... Me- you know, mean by that is, is, you know, can you, do you agree? I mean, can you see those influences in this form? Not, not even, I mean, feel free to use other appearances of it as well, but can you see the, the appearance, the, the influences of Kong and that, that episode of Ultra Q? I forget what the, the monkey's actual name in it. Uh, is it is it Goro or Goto or something? It's, it's, it's Goro. Golgo or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> we're it starts with a G. We know that for eleven dollars you could find out at home. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Mill uh, Creek needs to give me a job. But but really do. Uh, no, I mean you, you think that stuff kind of shows its face in this? I do. Yeah, like it. It's not. I'm trying to think of how to answer this without like going on a, a kaiju cha- tangent here. That's why I brought but, you like, on, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's this whole, okay, so there's this whole thing on Twitter where somebody was like, "Hey, is Clifford the the big red dog a kaiju?" And like, all they're saying is, "Well, he's a big dog, and if the monster is big, they must then also be a kaiju." Like, that's their very loose definition of what a kaiju is. But like, kaiju is supposed to be more of like strange beast. And then you add the giant component later on, and it becomes Daikaiju. I would say that the influences of Kong, 
the size of the beast, the fact that like later on they actually give they give him like this beam that he can shoot from his mouth. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a kaiju. But like, is that a hill that I want to die on? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not. But like I think the answer would be yeah. And like the influences of Kong are there. They're and they're obvious and like they're they're intentional. And then you have him just he's as big as a castle, he's ripping things apart. And then later in Z, you have like Gohan destroying everything in front of Piccolo. You find out that the Saiyans are actually using this form as a way to conquer planets because they go into these unstoppable rage fests and they start shooting this beam that like basically creates atomic bomb explosions. So like they're definitely monsters and they're definitely kaiju, but like I don't know that I'd argue with somebody over it if they if they thought differently. Right. Yeah. And that's because, I think because they'd obviously be wrong, right? <laughs> I think you can see the influences of it throughout too, right? This isn't one of those things where the first time we see it, it's this very like kaiju, you know, it's destroying a city type of thing. And then the next times we see it, it's granted the next couple times we see it, it's not destroying cities. It's in like just barren, rocky wastelands. Actually, one exception, because the very next time we see it actually is at a world martial arts tournament. But even there, it's not like destroying cities. So where it kind of comes into play more in these later episodes is when the Uzaru is interacting with people and, you know, crushing them and stepping on them and things like that, which are all things that you could see in Kong specifically in like the, the 1933 original is really the only one that has like an extended sequence where Kong runs amok in the village. Not just in New York City, but in the in the village when he first breaks out of the the gate on Skull Island, and you know he's kind of stamping the the dude into the muck and all that kind of stuff. I mean that those those images are are somewhat similar. So yeah, no. So one thing, one other thing that's happened is right. We see this pop up. This transformation spoiler alert pops up again, very in the very near future, like somewhere in the next uh, 20 or 30 episodes for sure. And then it does pop up again later in Z when Vegeta uses it and Gohan uh, gets accidentally triggered before. But since then in Dragon Ball Canon, <laughs> it has been largely forgotten about. I don't know. Does that, does that bother you guys at all? Do you feel like it's been forgotten, ignored, disrespected? Would you like to see it come back? Uh, I mean, any thoughts on that? I'm a little disappointed that the only time they ever tried to do anything with it was in GT <laughs> with the, with the super Saiyan four transformation, which was just, yeah. <sighs> it's a pretty so, so neat. You... It's a pretty neat idea though. In, in, I like, that idea as it at its core in GT. I don't know about you guys, but like the idea that like cutting off your tail does limit your full potential. I, I yeah, I do like that idea, and I do like the idea in GT. I don't love GT as a whole, but like that's they actually took something that had basically been forgotten about and they tried to bring it to the forefront. And I think like there were a lot of stories that they could have told using the Ozaru. Like, there, there's just a bunch of stuff you could have done with it. And I don't know if it was just, like, not interesting. Because, honestly, the the fight between Goku 
and Vegeta in the, in the great eight form is actually pretty fun to watch. And you have this, like the Bardock movie has some of it as well. So like, there's some stuff they could have done. Would you sit down and watch a movie with a bunch of Saiyans conquering a planet and transforming? Like, of course you would. I think there's things that were left on the table, but I also understand like Z, the focus is going to be on the smaller, you know, the, the, the humanoid sized characters and them fighting. But I think they left a lot of potential stories on the table by basically just throwing this away and forgetting about it. I think I would have really, really liked to have seen two Ozarus fight each other. Now you're talking Matt's language. I, would, <laughs> I, think, yeah, that been, I think that would have been interesting. Or uh, another example would be like Lord Slug, how he makes himself gigantic. It would be interesting if they countered that with one of the Saiyans using their Ozuru form to fight him. I think that would be pretty cool, too. That would have been fun. Yeah, that would have been pretty sweet. Yeah, massive, massive spoiler alert, because I don't know if either of you have kept up at all with the where the manga is as of right now. And I won't even talk about where it is as of right now while we're recording, but beyond the end of the super anime, there's a, a character named Moro. And I, again... I only know like little bits and pieces because I plan on reading the manga and stuff as we're going through this show. So now I'm like, oh, that's something for me to look forward to, you know? So I only know what I know from what I've seen of little things. But he, I guess, becomes, does he become gigantic or he becomes part of a planet or something to that effect? And like, that would be a perfect opportunity to bring this form back in some way. But they don't do that. Have either of you kept up with uh, Heroes at all? Dragon Ball Heroes? No. Nope. So it, it does come back sort of in that. But like, he, uh, I guess Dragon Ball Z extended multiverse thing or whatever, because they're just bringing in like different timelines of, of these Dragon Ball characters. It, and, it, and listen, there's, it, there's no plot. It's just people show up and fight. But it's it's fun to watch if you have, have a few minutes. And it's like every episode is maybe... 10 12 minutes long so it's also pretty short definitely nice. worth checking out yeah yeah I, i've i mean I've, I've i'm familiar with the show's existence i know it's not considered canon for whatever canon means you know i mean that's like a whole other kind of discussion even <laughs> because even even within canon there can be your own interpretations of it and the extent to which any There's of it a billion there's a billion timelines in, in Dragon Ball. And the extent, yeah, and the extent to which any of it actually matters at the end of the day really is up to you. I mean, think about like what what is canon and how many people have never experienced like there's so many people who have never experienced the Dragon Ball portion of Dragon Ball. They're missing out. Oh, I know for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's like it's it's not at all uncommon. I mean for Probably the first like ten years I was into the franchise, I had only seen Z and possibly GT. Like I never had seen the original. For however much canon matters, it really like you can pick and choose your own canon in something as vast and sprawling as as the world of Dragon Ball. But yeah, no, I I just have never. Again, that's kind of another one of those things I've never tra- checked out Heroes. But that's like another avenue for us to explore eventually on this show. Yes, it's, it's fun. That's what makes this show so great. So we can go anywhere. So would you say 
the consensus here is that the Ozuru is the vestigial tail of Dragon Ball that gets cut off and forgotten about. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, it, it is. And, you know, it's... This is another one of those things where we we could we could have a a much much longer discussion, and I kind of don't know how much I want to, but like because we could even have this whole discussion another time of power levels and power multipliers and things like that. Because God, in Dragon Ball, it has been so much more, and this is even just my understanding, right? I'm not even a hundred percent sure what all the power levels are. But I, my understanding is that it has been like fairly outlined along the way. Like this person's power level at this point is six hundred, and at this point it's six million, and then it's six billion, and then it's six decado triple gajillion. You know, like <laughs> when you get to to the the one of the reasons I guess you could argue that this form has been forgotten is that it's a ten x multiplier to your strength, which like. Okay, Goku can Kaioken times 20, you know, like a 10x. Yeah, but giant red monkey, though, that would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'd watch. Yeah, again, like. Yes, and that's the, yeah. I do think there's a place for it, and it's just been forgotten. And I don't know if, I don't know if it's been forgotten. I'm not sure why, you know, because it's something, this is, if this was something that was only in Dragon Ball, and not in Z, I could very much say, oh, it's because it's in that more mystical part of the show, and then it was just dumped. But one of this franchise's most popular characters has one of his most iconic early moments in this, or, you know, some of his most iconic early moments in this form, and it's never seen again. So I'm not sure why it's been dropped because there are opportunities, I think, to bring it back in some form. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd, li- I'd like to see it come back. I think that I think it'd be awesome. And I, I don't know if it's because the show just is kind of, I don't want to say devolved. That's such a nasty word to use, but become shifted its focus more to being a more interpersonal battle driven thing. You know, because one of the things Dragon Ball, and I keep saying we're going to talk about this another time, but we will talk about this another time. One of the things Dragon Ball really revolutionized and kind of perfected, too, in manga and storytelling and anime is is fighting and the interpersonal fight. And these fights are, yet the fights themselves are glorious and gorgeous especially in the anime a lot of times there's just some fights where the animation and everything is just like just beautiful to look at and so much fun and so entertaining and that's always an entertaining thing right that's why like kung fu films are so popular is because like watching two people duke it out and test their abilities against each other even in an animated form is just really entertaining and so maybe the shows become more focused on that piece of it and less focused on monsters really you know it's become more focused on the stories you can tell but i i still think you could tell stories of an interpersonal nature through kaiju media and that's i mean matt i mean there's 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 plenty of movies out there that show that that's possible yeah and and i think i think matt's gonna agree with me 
on on this a couple of these that I'm about to list off and maybe he's got some others but like you know even recent movies like Colossal or a recent show like Godzilla Singular Point show that you can have something that's got kaiju in it and lots of kaiju in it even at times but but tells a personal story yeah I mean I so the in in Monster Zero which is one of my favorite Godzilla films you have these characters that are very much at the forefront with the monsters kind of in the background and the monsters are dictating where the story goes. And it's, but it's not till the end of the film that the monsters really come out and shine. But by the time that you get there, your characters have been so established in this very, I mean, it's a very personal story and it, it's about like, I'm trying to not give a plot synopsis here, but the, the way it plays out is very personal, heartfelt, meaningful with these characters. And when the monsters show up, the stakes have been raised because now you care about the people in front of you versus some what you consider like B-movie monsters where you don't care about what's on screen. You just want to see monsters kill things. Monster Zero is the opposite of that. You care about the people. Like you're there to see the people first. And that's not something you can say about every monster movie, but it's those kinds of stories that if you adapt into like Dragon Ball or even like Dragon Ball Z, you could do a lot of really awesome stuff with. Yeah, and that's I think one of the reasons that I potentially arguably the most popular usage of this form is is when vegeta uses it is because a he's more antagonistic but b he's more aware of himself when he's in his ozaru form and so you get a very personal story that's going on within it i mean yes yes the ozaru in its initial appearance is just this, it's this crazy WTF moment, you know, like, God, I, <laughs> I really wish, like, like Bikini said, I really wish you could go back and experience this without knowing that's coming for the first time, because it's a huge WTF. It comes out of nowhere. It's a major left, left turn and a major curveball. And not only that, but it, it doesn't just solely rely on, on the, the twist because there's also that deeper layer to it, right, of learning something about Goku and learning something tragic about his past. You know, he is the one who unknowingly killed his own grandfather. <laughs> that I think the reason I even forgot about briefly it appearing in the the Budokai Tenkaichi or whatever it's called, the the, the World Martial Arts Tournament, is that that has a less personal driven focus to it right it's just a kind of fun actiony moment and then later you get yeah the the thing with vegeta i i think you could very easily bring it back again and have it hit that that more personal level and that's that's really the roots of the the kaiju genre as a whole too because i mean yes king kong is the granddaddy of them all and everything but the genre really becomes a genre with the Godzilla franchise. You know, before that, you've got your outliers. You've got your King Kong, the Lost World. There's a few others. But the roots of this go back to Godzilla. And even in, God, probably the first five, maybe six, maybe seven kaiju movies in general that Toho makes, they're all very human-driven stories. And to kind of expand on your your thought here about like having those sort of interpersonal moments, uh, 
sort of punctuate what's going on with this this monster. We we also do kind of have that in this episode where we've got Pilaf working with his underlings instead of like constantly berating them to try and escape the castle and defend it against this giant ape. You've got Yamcha momentarily getting over his fear of women to help Bulma escape danger. You've got Oolong putting someone else's well-being before his own by also trying to help Bulma escape. Uh, you have Bulma being a little bit more proactive in looking after herself as opposed to trying to get somebody else to do what needs to be done all the time. And I think it ties in really well with that theme that you guys are talking about of of having these more personal level stories with this giant monster rampaging as a, as a backdrop. Yeah. And, and I just, I wonder, this is like almost like a chicken or an egg type of thing. Did Toriyama kind of lose interest in kaiju movies? And so he just kind of lost interest in bringing this form back and using it to tell these stories? Or did the idea of what a kaiju movie is, because it really, like, if you talk to most people, even people who claim to be fans of the genre, they'll say, I'm just here to see the monsters fight. And that's not at all a dissimilar thing from what you hear in Dragon Ball a lot of times, you know, like, I'm just here for the fights. Like, did he lose interest in the genre because he just kind of lost interest in it and so it just kind of faded away? Or did he become so aware of it being all about the fights and losing its focus on uh, on the human element of it that that it just that kind of influenced him like, eh, I don't like where that genre is going anymore. And if I have to bring that into my art then I have to bring those tropes in and I don't want to. It's kind of an interesting qu- question and thought. It's like, tough to say, and given Toriyama's behavior, we'll probably never know. <laughs> I was going to say, you kind of get the uh, sort of the inverse, right, with the Saiyans attacking the planet Arlia, where, where Nappa fights the giant grasshopper thing. So in that in that particular little story, which I think might be a filler episode, I'm not actually sure, but uh, you have the giant creature of Arlia defending the planet and he actually fights Nappa and he gets obliterated, but that's actually kind of a cooler moment, which shows me like you could have done that in a meaningful way with characters that we care about. You could have continued the tradition of like, I, I think you're right. Probably the most memorable appearance of the, of the Ozuru is actually Vegeta's appearance because he's self-aware. He actually can, he, he can speak. He can, he can, He's like insulting Goku as he's you know basically torturing him and things, but like imagine that story retold from again like planet being dominated by Saiyans and the people having to cope with it, or like maybe it's the inverse where a Saiyan gets left behind on a planet, decides not to destroy it, and then becomes an Ozuru to save them from a different conquering alien force or something. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff you can do with it. Yeah, that's one thing. I think the most interesting potential future for this, if they ever brought it back, would be. To have either, to have, I would say Goku most likely. I mean, he's, you know, he's Goku. To have him turn into the Ozuru and have to learn how to, like, Vegeta has to somehow reach him in his mind to be able to get him to 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 use it. And then you could also tell a story about it being, a, like, a complete force for good, right? Because we've only ever seen it. Yep. We've only ever seen it as an antagonistic force in Dragon Ball. True. Yeah. And so it'd be an interesting inversion 
which I, I'm surprised a little bit then that Toriyama never brought it back because he loves inverting things, right? He loves like subverting expectations and things and to have him end up bringing it back later and everyone thinks it's going to be like this like rampaging wild beast and to have it be like a protector would be a really interesting play and inversion but it, it just hasn't happened yet maybe it'll come back eventually and like matt said it even has kind of appeared again in in dragon ball heroes so you know there's potential and and there's there's never no hope when a, with a franchise as long running and gigantic as this well plus you have uh the saints from other universes now so like they could have benevolent hoosers for all we know right <laughs> i think that's it i don't know if anyone else has anything to add I do have one small thing I wanted to bring up has absolutely nothing to do with Kaiju. Okay. I thought it was adorable. I thought it was adorable that Pilaf shares a bedroom with Mai and Shu. <laughs> I did watch that. I was like, oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting choice. It, was, it made me chuckle. Because he's got this huge castle. Yeah, and he shares his bedroom with two other people. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, it is a it is a good like that's a it's a good episode and that's a you know I mentioned this is a good I think I mentioned it last episode like this is a very good final episode for a season 1 or arc 1 or whatever because it does leave things open for a sequel for sure but if we never saw these characters again after this point that would also be okay. Like the 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 arc and everything, their stories are very kind of completed at this point. And I know people who know all the adventures that have we've gone on since, and all the the growth growth and drastic increases in power level that Goku still has yet to do are going to be like, what? He's going off to train. That's such a tease. But like, it really like when we talk about as we've been for the last several episodes of this show talking about Goku is as a character, he's the flat character. He knows his truth already. He doesn't have anything really to learn left about himself and all the characters that he has interacted with in this first arc, their stories are at least for what they've built up to this point completed. Yeah, with that said, thanks Matt for joining us. I don't know, do you got a, a plug or a or a something you want to you want to throw in? Yeah, actually. Um so you can f- find our show Kaiju Transmissions. We are on Facebook. We have our Twitter account which is KT_podcast. And then we also have and I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but we have Kaiju Masterclass that we're part of. We're actually putting on a online convention with several Japanese actors, directors, and that's going to be online through YouTube, and that's Kaiju Masterclass. Yeah, and I'll, I'll chime in here and say that this will probably not air before before uh, <laughs> before that goes live. But uh, whether whether you're coming to this before or after Kaiju Masterclass goes live, those interviews and those things will be on YouTube forever. Or at least until YouTube takes them down or something. Or until the heat death of the universe. So, you know, you can go back and and watch any of them. And, you know, just speaking from, you know, past experience, there's been some really good, if you're interested in this stuff at all, some extremely good interviews with 
some of the filmmakers of Godzilla and Gamera movies, uh, people involved with the Ultraman series. There's been the one 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 of the interviews because this is not the first Matt's talking about this is not the first Kaiju masterclass that has happened. So, um, you know, you can go back and watch the old ones too. There's an interview with bear McCreary who did the score on the, the Godzilla King of the monsters movie. So there's a lot of very varied takes from different content creators, uh, who are officially or semi officially involved with, uh, this, this Kaiju genre as a whole. So, Feel free to just go over to YouTube and search for Kaiju Masterclass and peruse at your leisure because there's some really cool stuff in there. And again, you can check out the podcast as well, Kaiju Transmissions. Uh, we will talk all kinds of craziness, giant monsters, and that's a lot of fun. And you get to hear uh, uh, Jelly's self come on and, and join us from time to time. So, Yes, I'm a mainstay in October there. <laughs> that is that is. You do. You set up residence in October every single year. But, yep, thanks for joining us, Matt. We'll uh, we'll let you get going now. Thanks for having me. Hey, I've been meaning to ask you. Earlier, you said, oh, my roots. What was that about? Your people part plant or something? More on the or something side, but sure. It's just a common exclamation of surprise. Well, my breath is fully caught. How about yours? I guess, but aren't those things still outside? It doesn't sound like it. Why don't I push this this rock out of the way and you take a peek? Oh man, do I have to? We could venture into this cave instead. that noise which mystery would you rather solve whether the crickets are out there or whatever is back in there uh pass just get out there and take a look okay but if i get killed i'm not gonna be happy neither will i i guess now quit stalling <laughs> okay well, let me just take a minute nope Oh, you son of a... Hey, everything actually looks okay out here. You sure? Yeah. Wait. Bikini? Bikini? Uh, um... Well, listeners, I guess I'll take my leave of you here. I probably shouldn't have simulated that roar and forced Bikini to go outside, but I thought it'd be faster to take the direct route than fumbling around in this cave. Will Bikini manage to escape the giant crickets bearing down on him? Will I find my way through this cave back to my ship? Will you be able to reach your final form? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. Final Form is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. 
It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Guelli. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 